Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we're looking at 35 through 51 this morning. John chapter 1, 35 through 51. And if you don't have a Bible, I would invite you to take uh, that. that there's a, there are Bibles in, under the seat in front of you. There are Bibles. Uh, grab one of those. It's page number 1615 in those Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible at home, just take that Bible with you. We would love to have to get more Bibles to, to put under the seat. So, so just take that Bible with you, and um, that is your Bible now. Um, but, but yeah, uh, John chapter 1, looking at verses 35 through 51. Before we go into that, um, there are many times in life, I'm going I'm to make a definitive statement, there are many times in life where it is very easy for us to get bogged down. Can we all agree to that? Yeah. There, there are different, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter, no matter what perspective you have, no matter if you put your faith in Jesus or you don't put your faith in Jesus, it is so easy for us to get bogged down in life. I, I heard somebody talk about analysis paralysis once. I was like, that is me. Oh my goodness. Like you give me, I, I hate grocery shopping hate. My wife loves grocery shopping. She, she thinks it's therapeutic to walk through a store. I'm praying for her, so you can join me in that. Um, but, but I hate grocery because it's too, there's too many choices, right? There's too many choices. Just give me a choice. I don't need to know that there's 50 different toothpaste. Just give me one, right? That's, I, I, I get so overwhelmed at times with different choices, and it, it seems like we can do this in so many different ways. Like, um, you know, should I buy this house or that house? Should I go to this college or should I go to that college? Should I, should I go into this career or that career? I've talked to so many college students over the past where there's this, there's this deep fear that we're just going to, like, we're going to choose the wrong uh, career. And then the whole rest of my life is just, like, one big mess, right? Because I make this huge choice when I'm 21, when my brain isn't fully formed yet, and the rest of my life is just a, a, a dumpster fire. That's what I have to look forward to now because I made this wrong choice. Or you back it up even further, and it's like we expect 18-year-olds to make choices about what major they're going to choose when it's like, boy, if you know an 18-year-old, you know their brain's not working, right? And, and yet we, we, like, we put all this pressure and we get bogged down in life and there's so many, like, what career should I enter? What relationship should I pursue? right? Uh, what, what should my retirement look like? There's all of these different stages in life where, where if we're honest, it feels like it's like, like when, when my dad was trying to teach me how to, how to uh, drive a stick shift, you know, and it's like, you know, and like life can just feel like I'm trying to find the right gear and I killed it again. And, you know, and then it's like, just go around me. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, it's just like life is just, and then, and then, if we're honest with ourselves, I think when we add in well-meaning people who say, well, what do you think God wants for you? That at times, at times, is not a clarifying question. That's something where it's like, now you just added a variable that I have no idea what to do with. That can, that can really get into some, some uh, messed up theology where, like I said earlier, it's almost like we have this, this, we think God has this A plan for us, 
like, like A, B, C, D. Like, there, here's plan A. All right, like a choose-your-own-adventure. All right, let's, let's see if you make the right choice. If you, if you really follow me, if you're really in tune, if you're praying a lot, then, then you're going to get this, this blessed life. All right, but let's say, let's say you make a wrong choice. You, you go to chapter 5, and it's like, well, I guess the rest of your life you're on plan B. Well, what happens if you really make a wrong choice? You go to chapter 12, and it's like, congratulations, you just died of dysentery. It's like, ah, no! Right? Life can feel so difficult at times, and it feels like when we, when we say, okay, well, God has a plan, it's almost like, well, that's not helpful. And I, and I think if we're, if, again, if we're honest, I think one of the reasons for that is because we want, if, especially if we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, if we're disciples of Jesus, we, we want God to be like our GPS, Right? How many of you, how many of you remember the days before GPS? You remember, I remember when, yeah, you guys, I remember when, when my wife and I would get ready for a, a road trip and we'd get out this thing called the Atlas, right? And it's like, ooh, the Atlas. And we'd lay it open and, and my wife and I would, would look at the routes and, all right, we're going to Texas. So we'll, we'll get the highlighter out. We'll highlight all these different routes. And, 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 then, and then after the Atlas came this beautiful thing called MapQuest, and you could get online, and it was so awesome because you could type in your destination, and then you could print off turn-by-turn turn directions. Whoa! Like technology, so amazing, right? And then the GPS. Oh, it's like God dropped this, this beautiful tool into our laps, and you could just you could stick it on your windshield, and you could even change your little car, and you could change the accent of the person. Now it's like, oh, my GPS is Australian. How cool is that, you know? Uh, and, and then, and then, and then if it could, if it, as if things could get better, then it goes to your phone. Now you don't have to put it on your, on your, on your windshield. Now when I'm walking downtown, I can just type in, where is this place? And I can just, oh, Go here. Oh, go here. And, and see, GPS, though, has completely ruined me. It's completely ruined me. I can't go anywhere without typing the, the address. And my dad will, you know, he, he's one of those guys, oh, what you gonna, you're going to want to head north. And it's like, no, 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 no. Give me the address so I could type it in. I have a phone, right? I'm going to type it in, and it'll say, in 1.5 miles, turn right. I don't know east, west, and, and please don't come up to me and try and give me a, a hack so I can learn it. I'm not going to learn it, all right? Amen. All right, yeah, amen. I heard that. See, the, the reality is it's, it's funny because like now when I'm driving, I have to have that, and I know it's dangerous, yes, but I have to have that GPS in my hand. Like my wife was like, that's so dangerous. Let me hold it. Well, l- let me tell you, what's more dangerous, me doing this or me doing this? Right? I, I think I'm going to hold it. See, I want, I want to have control. I want to know what's, what's happening. I want to know, okay, I, in, in, again, in 1.5 miles, I'm going to turn here. I'm going to do this because if she's holding it, maybe there's a delay in communication, which that happens sometimes in marriage. Ooh, wow, mind-blowing, right? And, and yet if she's holding it, maybe we're going to miss something. And so I'm holding it, and at times I think that is exactly what we want when it comes to our Christian walk, and yet God doesn't lead us with a GPS, right? It's, as we look through the pages of Scripture, it's almost like to be a follower of Jesus, it's like following a compass, not a GPS, right? 
like following the North Star, as if I've ever gone anywhere following the North Star, right? But it's like, I don't even know where the North Star is. Again, don't come up to me and be like, you know, the North Star, you can look here and do this. I'm probably not going to learn it, okay? Um, It's a life choice. But, you know, when when we follow like the compass, it's kind of like, okay, you're not going to know in 1.5 miles you're going to turn right, but you know, here's the direction I'm going. See, what I believe we see as we look at John chapter 1 and the, the last half of John chapter 1, I think what we're invited into, what we see is that to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, it's, it's not to have turn-by-turn directions, even though, even though we really want that. In, in fact, I think, I think when we look at this, we see that a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is one who acts on what is seen and is then invited to see even more. I, I heard a, a quote that, that some, I don't even remember where I heard this, but they said, if you can only see so far ahead, go as far ahead as you can see. And I think that's the Christian life. And I think that's what we see in this passage is that we, we want God to be like, all right, here, you know, all right, here's the phone. Here's the GPS. You, you know where you're going. And yet the reality is that, that doesn't happen. So we get bogged down. So the question this morning is, what does it, what does it look like for me to engage like this? What does it look like for me to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, when, when life is so frustrating and confusing and things get bogged down and I have questions and doubts and all these different... What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? One who acts on what is seen and is then invited to see even more. If you would stand with me in, in honor of God's word, we're going to read this together. And I'm reading from the ESV, and if you're using those pew Bibles, those are NIV. So there's just a few, few word uh, changes in there. But uh, John chapter 1, starting verse 35, says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God! The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. The NIV says it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite, indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? 
you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Again, if, if being a disciple, as we, as we think about life, as we think about how easy it is to be bogged down, if being a disciple is one who acts on what is seen and is then invited to see even more, what do we see repeated over and over and over again in this passage? Did, did you hear it? As you were reading it, did you, did you hear anything that just felt like, oh, I mean, my voice, I kind of tried to, to reflect it a little bit. This is group participation, by the way. You didn't know you were going to be participating this morning. <laughs> Jesus. I, yeah, whenever, whenever there's a question in church, Jesus is probably a good, a good answer. But uh, yes, and what, what was, somebody said something over here. Come and see, right? It wasn't, all right. I appreciate you, honest. See, we say that's over and see, saw, found, sought. Like, it's all over in this passage. And as, we, as, we were, as I was reading that and, and just studying this, it just reminded me of one of the names of God in Genesis 16, 13. And this is Hagar, who is a, a slave, right, who is being oppressed by Abraham and Sarah, like the people who are supposed to be the people of blessing. They are oppressing this, this slave girl. And, and Sarah and her have this conflict and sends them out, but she's pregnant. She doesn't know what to do. And it's like, ah, what am I supposed to do? She thinks she's going to die. And yet God shows up. And he's like, hey, you're not going to die. I got you. I'm taking care of you. I see you. And in Genesis 16, 13, it says, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. It's so interesting because this is the only time from my understanding in the Hebrew Bible that somebody is interacting with God and gives God a name. And it's a slave girl who's being oppressed who thinks she's going to die. And what God says is, I see you. As we look at this passage over and over and over again, we see that God sees us. Jesus sees his people. Jesus finds his people. Jesus comes to his people. Over and over again. And and I love it because what we see here is it's not because they're just killing it. It's not because they have all the right information. In fact, I think one of the points that I really want to make is that to be a disciple of Jesus is just to act on the little bit that you see, right? It's just to act on the little bit that you see. What, what we see in the very beginning in this passage was the fact that um, the, these two disciples, one is an unnamed disciple, but then uh, it says, let's see, Andrew was one of the other, Andrew and this unnamed disciple, they're, they're following John. And John looks at Jesus because Jesus is back in the area. And John looks and he's like, there he is. There he is again. Oh my goodness. The Lamb of God. And they're like, Okay. And they just start following him. Like the, the little bit of information they have, they act on it. And yeah, there's probably a lot of like um, the Hebrew Bible, a lot of scriptures that are probably running through their minds about who, who the son of God, who the lamb of God is. And yet when Jesus turns around and sees them following him, what do they say? He says, hey, what are you, what are you seeking? What, what do you see? They're like, rabbi. And he's like, what are you seeking? What do they say? 
Where are you staying? Uh, they probably have a lot of different things running through their minds. Have you ever been in that? I'm not saying this is exactly what's happening, but have you ever been in that situation where somebody is like, what do you want? It's like, oh, I, well, I, uh, a meatball sub. Why did I say that? I don't even like meatball subs. Right? It's, it's possible that when, when these disciples are following Jesus and he turns around and he sees them, he's like, hey, what are you, what are you seeking? Like, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? See, they don't know very much about Jesus at this point, but what they see, they act on. And I think that's an important part as we, as we go into the rest of this passage, because I think at times, we as believers, as followers of Jesus, are very comfortable just having right information. Right? We're very comfortable having right information. And a lot of times, what we believe is following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, is just knowing all the facts, being able to check all the boxes. And I, and I fall into this all the time because I have fear, if I'm honest, I have fear that says, well, I'm a pastor. I should know all this stuff, right? I should be ready, like, with all these Bible, you know, I should be the, the best Bible quiz person there is. You know, what is penal substitutionary tone? I got it. And in fact, this past week, I was like, somebody said that. And I'm like, I remember talking about that. I don't know exactly. And what if somebody asked me? And then they're going to think, wow, you're a pastor? Are you kidding me? Where's the real pastors at? Like, that's the fear that I have. And yet, yet, what if following Jesus is more than just having all the right information? See, they just had a little bit. And yet, they acted on what they knew. I remember one time uh, when I was helping my dad work cows. Growing up around cows, I got a lot of good sermon illustrations, right? And, and I remember we, we'd have to work cows all the time, and I was just this young kid, and I was super small and scrawny. And, and my job was to push the cows from this one corral down the chute so that we could work on them. And, and like, beef cows are crazy. Like, they'll just turn on you. And they're, they're crazy and stupid, a really bad combination, Right? And so, so I'm, I'm in this corral. I'm up on the fence because there's all, like, I mean— these big, crazy, stupid, heavy cows. And my dad's, my dad's down the shoes saying, get in there, bring them down. You know, and I, and I give him a hard time now. Get in there, get up against them. I'm like, they're going to kick me. He's like, if you get up against them, they won't kick you. It's like, okay, I understand that mentally, right? I get, I, I can get there because it's like, okay, if this was a cow's backside, Right? If I'm up against it, well, then it can't, like, it can't rear up and kick me, right? I get that. Like, I can, I can make the connections mentally and say, okay, yeah. But to put my body where my brain understands is a lot different, right? Like, to, to put our bodies in action, even if it's like, okay, I know some, but I don't know how to get there. And then, but, but to just put our bodies, it is like, there's no way... I am going to do that. My dad just got madder and madder and madder. And in fact, this illustration breaks down because in trying to show me, he got kicked. So it's like, so I was right, right? But see, the thing is when lots of times in our Christian walk, we are very content with just sitting on the fence. Even if we have the right information. Even if we know, okay, yeah, God takes care of the birds of the air, and so he'll take care of me. Oh, God says to love my enemies. God says, oh, you know, all that. Like, we, we know all the right things. But when it comes to putting that into action, putting our bodies into it, 
oftentimes it's like, ah, I'm just going to sit here until I know more, right? I'm just going to sit here because I've been kicked before. I'm just going to sit here because actually I'm, a, I'm really afraid of what's going to happen if I do step in here. And yet what we see is these disciples, even though they didn't know very much, what they did know they acted on. And Jesus met them where they were. Jesus met them. He saw them where they were. Not, not only these disciples, see, the, when he says, come and see. When they said, where are you staying? You know, they, it, what, it wouldn't have been proper in this day and age for them to be like, hey, we want to follow you. It, w- it wouldn't really have been proper because they were basically saying, you are higher, we are lower. So by what they said, they're leaving room for Jesus to give the invitation, and he does. So come, and you'll see. The, the next day, the next day in, in uh, verse 43, what's it say? The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. There's an intentionality. They leave this place, Bethany. They go into a broader place, Galilee, uh, Galilee right? Yeah, Galilee. It's, it's the, this narrow place to a broader place. And he does it with intentionality. He says, I'm going to find somebody. And he found Philip. See, Jesus came to where he was. I love it when, when Philip then finds his friend Nathaniel. What do we see Nathaniel do when Philip's like, we found him. We found him. We found the one that the prophets of Moses and everybody wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, hold up. Wait just a second. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What does Nathaniel do when he hears this incredible news? Questions, right? Yeah. It's like, wait a second. And, and I, don't, I don't think there was really anything inherently wrong with uh, Nazareth. I, I was reading a different commentary that said in this day and age, different villages had kind of these different thoughts about each other. And so they would have rivalries. It was like me growing up in Bresh, the metropolis of Brashear, Missouri. You know, last time I, I was there, I think it was down to 200 people in this town. And, and it's like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't super glamorous growing up in Brashear. But, but those of us who grew up in Brashear, it was like, well, better than Brashear than Novinger, which was another little town, you know. And it's like, whoa, Novinger. Can anything good come out of Novinger? Or La Plata. La Plata is even worse. Nothing good. La Plata is like hell on earth, right? That's nothing good can come from there. And, and it was like, well, there's nothing wrong with these places. But it's like, but I'm, I'm from Brashear. 200 people. One stop sign, right? See, it's possible that was the case. But it's also possible that Nathaniel understood the, the prophets talked about the, the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. So, so he's saying, wait a second. You're telling me Jesus of Nazareth. I have questions about that. I have concerns about that. I don't understand how all these pieces are going to fit together. If you're telling me one thing, how does that work with what I've known? And, and how do I move forward in this? And, how, and yet, what does Jesus do with Nathaniel's questions? Well, first of all, what does his friend Philip do with his questions? What's he say in response to this question of, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What's he say? Come and see. Come and see. He doesn't get into an argument about how good Nazareth is. He doesn't get into an argument about, well, the Messiah, you know, he was born in Bethlehem. and you know, He doesn't get into any kind of argument. He just says, come and see. Put your body into action. 
See, I, I think that there is this thought that if we're believers, that means that we got to have everything figured out. We, we don't have any questions. We don't have any doubts. We, we're just secure. And especially as a pastor, there are times where it's like, I don't understand some of the things I'm reading. And yet, can I say that? Can I say that I don't understand this? Because if I do, what's to say about me? And a lot of times I think when we have questions, especially when we respond negatively to questions, I think it shows more about our insecurity than it does about the thing that's being questioned. Right? Tim Keller is a pastor in, uh, in New York. He says that a body or a, a faith without some doubt is like a body without antibodies. See, to, to be a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean we check our brain at the door. It doesn't mean we don't have questions. It doesn't mean we don't have some doubts. But it means we bring those doubts, we bring those questions, we bring those things into the person where we can find the answer. We bring those with us into the congregation. We bring those. That's why I, I love that we're doing this contradictions in the gospel. It's like, I mean, have you ever been reading? It's like, I don't know how that fits together, but I don't know how to ask that question. And, so, I, and I don't feel like there's a safe place to even wonder about this. Well, we're trying to engage that and say, let's, let's not pretend like we don't have questions. Let's bring those into the light of gospel, the gospel, into the light of who Jesus is. See, and in that, Jesus meets Nathaniel. He says, oh, here's an Israelite. Here's a true Israelite in which there's no guile. He's saying, oh, yeah, bring it. Come on. He meets him where he is in his questions. And I think it is a beautiful thing, the, the fact that we serve the God who is the God who sees. Because I think so much of the time, we need to be reminded that God sees us. Where we are in our fear, in our insecurity, when life is bogged down, we are seen. I, I, when I was a kid, I remember when I was super little, I got mad at my mom about something. I think she disciplined me, um, and, and hopefully she's repented since then. But uh, I, I remember, like, I got so frustrated in my little brain. I was like, I'll show her. I'm going to run away from home. And I made it as far as underneath her sewing machine in the basement. You know, and, and I, I was, like, serious. I even pulled the chair in so that she couldn't see me. You know, and I sat there and I can just remember sitting there and, and this, th this memory popped up in my head this past week as I was thinking through this. And I can remember sitting there frustrated, angry, confused. Guess what my mom did in that moment? Guess what she did? She moved towards me. She moved the chair out of the way. I don't remember how the interaction went, but I do remember my mom moved towards me. We have a God who moves towards us in, in the little bit that we understand. When we're afraid to get in, when, we're, when we don't understand what's happening, we have a God who moves towards us. He sees us. And not only that, but he sees who we are becoming. We, we see that that. Jesus, he sees his disciples, and then, and then the, the one disciple, Andrew, we find that he is Simon, Peter's brother, and Simon uh, and, and Andrew goes and finds his brother in verse 41. It says, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means rock. 
Jesus looks at this, this guy, Simon, this fisherman, that, that most likely you can, you can read about, you know, just the different, different ways people went through education, all these things in this, in this time period. Most likely this is a guy that had been passed over, overlooked, and yet Jesus looks at him and says, oh, I see you. And I don't see the, the person that everybody says that you are. I see the person that you are becoming. Isn't that beautiful? See, the, we, come, we come from all different kinds of backgrounds, right? Some of us have grown up in church. Some of us haven't been in church very long. Some of us were born with a Bible in our hands. Not me, but some of us, right? Some of us have, it's like, how do you know so much? And, and some of us, where it's like, you don't have a Bible at home. We come from all different perspectives and, and places. And yet when Jesus looks at us, when he meets us where we are, he doesn't just see who we've been, he sees who we're becoming. We see that all throughout scripture. That is who God is. He is the God who sees. I mean, uh, Abraham, when, when Abraham was still childless, which was a, thought to be a curse in his time period, God looks at him and he says, you're going to be a great nation. When David was overlooked by his own dad, still out in the field watching sheep, God says, you're going to be the king. When, when Paul is still blinded as he was oppressing the church, God speaks to a, a man named Ananias and says, hey, go pray over this guy because, yeah, he's blind and, yes, he's done a lot of things, but he's going to be my messenger to the nations. I, I love when, when Paul writes the letter to, to uh, Corinth, First and Second Corinthians. The church in Corinth was a hot mess. I mean, it was so messed up. There were so, I, we, I've, I've heard and I've, I've had this belief uh, that, man, we just need to get back to where the early church was and we'll be, we'll be firing on all cylinders. And then you read about the early church and it's like, well, maybe not, right? They are messed up. People sleeping with their moms and all this. I mean, it is like, I, this is messed up. Bad congregational meetings in, in the church in Corinth, right? Yeah. And yet, what does Paul write to the church in Corinth? He calls them saints. See, Jesus meets us where we are, and he speaks over us who we're becoming. Not only that, but he invites us to see more. When he interacts with Nathaniel, when Nathaniel comes in, and, and Jesus is like, oh, a true Israelite. It, it, you know, and Nathaniel's like, well, how did you know me? He said, well, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came. And Nathaniel's like, oh, you are the son of God. Or you are the king of Israel. That what he's proclaiming most likely was, was a, a, a royalty thing. It was, they were terms of royalty. You can see this in 1 Samuel and different places. They were terms of royalty. And so it's interesting because as Nathaniel is proclaiming these things, it's like, okay, he, yes, Jesus is the king, and yet... That's not necessarily what he was doing in this moment. And it's, it's like, Nathaniel, you don't really know what you're saying. But what you're saying is right. You just don't understand what you're saying. And I love it because Jesus is okay with that. He's like, all right, we can work with that. But, but he goes in and he says, you believe just because I said I saw you under the fig tree? You believed? And in my imagination, I think Jesus is like, ooh, You're going to see more than that. You're going to see even more. And what's he say after that? He says, you're going to see even more than that. Uh, verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? 
you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And I can read that and be like, what in the world does that mean? You know, we, we read these things. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Ascending, descending on the Son. Oh, yeah, sure. That doesn't make sense. Unless we have in our minds the story of Jacob back in Genesis, where, where Jacob... He's this guy that he's running away from home. He's burned all these bridges with his family. He's running away from home, and it's nighttime. He's going to extended family, and it's like he has nothing. And so he's like, I'm just going to lay down. He gets a rock for a pillow. Like, you, you know you've, you're low, and it's like, okay, this rock is comfortable, right? And, and it says in Genesis 28:12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Then in 16 and 17, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. See, when Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, he's saying, you're going to see even more than that. And then he references this story. What he's saying is he's saying, you're going to see the, the bridge between God and man. That yes, what you're saying, you don't even understand it, but what you're saying is true. And you're going to see God do amazing things. See, he met him where he was, even though he didn't understand any of it. He met him where he was. And he's like, I see you. Do you want to see more? You want to, you want to see more? See, it's an, I, I believe this is an invitation. When we think about life and it's so hard and we get so bogged down, I think what we're being invited into as a disciple is to say, what is it that you see? Let's start there. Let's start there. What does it look like? What does it look like to be engaged? What does it look like for us to say, okay, I know this to be true about Jesus. This is what I've heard. This is, this is what I've read. This is all these things. And what does it look like to say, okay, let's get off the fence then. Let's, let's get in close. Let's, let's start putting these things into practice because Jesus wants to meet us there and take us even further. See, the, 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 the life that Jesus offers is an incredible, scary, awesome, uh, mind-bending adventure. Amen? Those of you who've been walking it for a while, you can say, amen. It's terrifying. Like, it's one of those things, like, those are, I've, I've aged out of roller coasters. I used to love them. Totally over that now, at this stage of my life. You know, and there's times where you get to that top, and it's like, I made a huge, terrible mistake. And you look over the edge, and it's like, I'm going to die. That's, that's what's going to happen. And yet, it feels like what we're being invited into is God saying, I see you. What does it look like for you to follow me and see even more? I want, I'm going to ask Troy to come up. We're going to take just a few moments. And I want us to be quiet before the Lord and, and ask the question, God, where, what have you shown me? Where am I at? Maybe, in your, maybe, maybe you're in one of these situations where life, it's, it just feels bogged down. You have doubts. You have fears. It's scary. You don't know what to do. I want to take just a few moments to say, okay, where are you at? Let's tell the truth about where you're at. 
I'm telling the truth, there, there are things in my life right now where I'm afraid. And my fear comes out and looks like anger so much of the time. And as I was praying before I came up here, I felt like God was saying, hey, what do you know to be true about me in the midst of your fear? What do you know to be true about me? What would it look like for you to take a step knowing that I'm meeting you right there? Um, I was thinking about this, this young couple that I interacted with quite a while ago, and they, they felt like God was calling them to the nations. They were, they were going to go uh, overseas and be missionaries. And I, I remember they, they went on this vision trip, they went overseas, and the young couple didn't have any kids, and they came back, and I remember our, our connection group, basically, we were around them, praying over them, hearing from them. And in that moment, my friend, uh, she just broke down, she just started bawling, weeping. She said, I want to raise my kids here. I want to raise my kids around around my family. I don't want to go. I don't, I'm so afraid. She just started weeping. And we just came around her as a, as a community. We were just praying over him or her and just saying, God, let your will be done. And it was so cool because in the, when she was telling the truth and through her tears, she said, but God, I want you more than this. And the little bit that she knew, she stepped out in. Both my friends, they stepped out in that. And the little bit that they knew, they stepped out in it. And guess what? Jesus met them there. And it was still scary. A lot of hard things. It was a crazy adventure. We're still in it. And every time I think about them, I think, man, isn't it beautiful that Jesus wants to meet us where we are? God, as we, as we tell the truth about that, I pray, God, that you would just speak. And God, I pray that you would invite us into more. So let's just take just a few moments.
Help us in this space. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Help us to see you. And God, help us as we as we take whatever step it is that we're invited to take. Help us to take that step because we just want to see more. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.